This is section 126 of Newspaper Articles by Mark Twain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Newspaper Articles by Mark Twain, section 126, The Galaxy, January 1871. Memoranda by Mark Twain. Goldsmith's Friend Abroad Again. Note. No experience is set down in the following letters which had to be invented. Fancy is not needed to give variety to the history of a Chinaman's sojourn in America. Plain fact is amply sufficient. Letter 7. San Francisco, 18 blank. Dear Ching Fu, I was glad enough when my case came up. An hour's experience had me as tired of the police court as of the dungeon. I was not uneasy about the result of the trial, but, on the contrary, felt that as soon as the large auditory of Americans present should hear how that the rowdies had set the dogs on me when I was going peacefully along the street, and how, when I was all torn and bleeding, the officers arrested me and put me in jail and let the rowdies go free. The gallant hatred of oppression, which is part of the very flesh and blood of every American, would be stirred to its utmost, and I should be instantly set at liberty. In truth, I began to fear for the other side. There, in full view, stood the ruffians who had misused me, and I began to fear that in the first burst of generous anger occasioned by the revealment of what they had done, they might be harshly handled, and possibly even banished the country as having dishonored her and being no longer worthy to remain upon her sacred soil. The official interpreter of the court asked my name, and then spoke it aloud so that all could hear. Supposing that all was now ready, I cleared my throat and began, in Chinese, because of my imperfect English. Hear, O high and mighty Mandarin, and believe. As I went about my peaceful business in the street, behold, certain men set a dog on me, and— Silence! It was the judge that spoke. The interpreter whispered to me that I must keep perfectly still. He said that no statement would be received from me. I must only talk through my lawyer. I had no lawyer. In the early morning a police-court lawyer, termed in the higher circles of society a shyster, had come into our den in the prison and offered his services to me, but I had been obliged to go without them because I could not pay in advance or give security. I told the interpreter how the matter stood. He said I must take my chances on the witnesses, then. I glanced around, and my failing confidence revived. "'Call those four Chinamen yonder,' I said. "'They saw it all. I remember their faces perfectly. They will prove that the white men set the dog on me when I was not harming them.' "'That won't work,' said he. "'In this country white men can testify against Chinamen all they want to, but Chinamen ain't allowed to testify against white men.' What a chill went through me! And then I felt the indignant blood rise to my cheek at this libel upon the home of the oppressed, where all men are free and equal, perfectly equal, perfectly free and perfectly equal. I despised this China-speaking Spaniard for his mean slander of the land that was sheltering and feeding him. I sorely wanted to sear his eyes with that sentence from the great and good American Declaration of Independence, which we have copied in letters of gold in China, and keep hung up over our family altars and in our temples. I mean the one about all men being created free and equal. But woe is me, Ching Fu, the man was right. He was right after all. There were my witnesses, but I could not use them. 
but now came a new hope i saw my white friend come in and i felt that he had come there purposely to help me i may almost say i knew it so i grew easier he passed near enough to me to say under his breath don't be afraid and then i had no more fear but presently the rowdies recognized him and began to scowl at him in no friendly way and to make threatening signs at him the two officers that arrested me fixed their eyes steadily on his he bore it well but gave in presently and dropped his eyes they still gazed at his eyebrows and every time he raised his eyes he encountered their winkless stare until after a minute or two he ceased to lift his head at all the judge had been giving some instructions privately to some one for a little while but now he was ready to resume business then the trial so unspeakably important to me and freighted with such prodigious consequence to my wife and children began progressed ended was recorded in the books noted down by the newspaper reporters and forgotten by everybody but me all in the little space of two minutes ah sung he chinaman officers o'flanagan and o'flaherty witnesses come forward officer o'flanagan officer he was making a disturbance in kearney street judge any witnesses on the other side no response the white friend raised his eyes encountered officer o'flaherty's blushed a little got up and left the courtroom avoiding all glances and not taking his own from the floor judge give him five dollars or ten days in my desolation there was a glad surprise in the words but it passed away when i found that he only meant that i was to be fined five dollars or imprisoned ten days longer in default of it there were twelve or fifteen chinamen in our crowd of prisoners charged with all manner of little thefts and misdemeanors and their cases were quickly disposed of as a general thing when the charge came from a policeman or other white man he made his statement and that was the end of it unless the chinaman's lawyer could find some white person to testify in his client's behalf for neither the accused chinaman nor his countrymen being allowed to say anything the statement of the officers or other white person was amply sufficient to convict so as i said the chinaman's cases were quickly disposed of and fines and imprisonment promptly distributed among them in one or two of the cases the charges against chinamen were brought by chinamen themselves and in those cases chinamen testified against chinamen through the interpreter but the fixed rule of the court being that the preponderance of testimony in such cases should determine the prisoner's guilt or innocence and there being nothing very binding about an oath administered to the lower orders of our people without the ancient solemnity of cutting off a chicken's head and burning some yellow paper at the same time the interested parties naturally drum up a cloud of witnesses who are cheerfully willing to give evidence without ever knowing anything about the matter in hand the judge has a custom of rattling through with as much of this testimony as his patience will stand and then shutting off the rest and striking an average by noon all the business of the court was finished and then several of us who had not fared well were remanded to prison the judge went home the lawyers and officers and spectators departed their several ways and left the uncomely courtroom to silence solitude and stiggers the newspaper reporter which latter would now write up his items said an ancient chinaman to me in the which he would praise all the policemen indiscriminately and abuse the chinamen and dead people ah sung he
the galaxy january eighteen seventy one memoranda by mark twain mean people my ancient comrade does sticks in a letter from new york quotes a printed paragraph concerning a story i used to tell to lecture audiences about a wonderfully mean man whom i used to know and then mr d throws himself into a passion and relates the following circumstances writing on both sides of his paper which is at least singular in a journalist if not profane and indecent now i don't think much of that i know a better thing about old captain asa t mann of this town you see old man used to own and command a pickaninny bull-headed mud-turtle shaped craft of a schooner that hailed from perth amboy old man used to prance out of his little cove where he kept his three-cent craft and steal along the coast of the dangerous kill von kuhl on the larboard side of staten island to smooch oysters from unguarded beds or pick clams off sloops where the watch had gone to bed drunk well once old man went on a long voyage for him he went down to virginia taking his wife and little boy with him the old rapscallion put on all sorts of airs and pretended to keep up as strict discipline as if his craft was a man-of-war one day his darling baby tumbled overboard a sailor named jones jumped over after him and after cavorting around about an hour or so succeeded in getting the miserable little scion of a worthless sire on board again then old man got right up on his dignity he put up all the dig he had handy and in two minutes he had jones into double irons and there he kept him three weeks in the forehold for leaving the ship without orders i will not resurrect my own mean man for possibly he might not show to good advantage in the presence of this gifted sailor but i will enter a toledo bridegroom against the son of the salt wave and let the winner take the money i give the toledo story just as it comes to me it too is written on both sides of the paper but as this correspondent is not a journalist the act is only wicked not obscene in this village there lived and continue to live two chaps who in their bachelor days were chums s one of the chaps tiring of single blessedness took unto himself a wife and a wedding with numerous pieces of silverware and things from congratulating friends c the other chap sent in a handsome silver ladle costing several dollars or more their friendship continued a year later c also entered into partnership for life with one of the fair eyes and he also had a wedding s being worth something less than twenty thousand dollars thought he ought to return the compliment of a wedding present and a happy thought struck him he took that ladle down to the jeweler from whom it was purchased by c the year before and traded it off for silver salt dishes to present to c and his bride the galaxy january eighteen seventy one memoranda by mark twain a sad sad business latterly i have received several letters and see a number of newspaper paragraphs all upon a certain subject and all of about the same tenor i here give honest specimens one is from a new york paper one is from a letter from an old friend and one is from a letter from a new york publisher who is a stranger to me i humbly endeavor to make these bits toothsome with the remark that the article they are praising which appeared in the december galaxy 
and pretended to be a criticism from the london saturday review on my innocence abroad was written by myself every line of it the herald says the richest thing out is the serious critique in the london saturday review on mark twain's innocence abroad we thought before we read it that it must be serious as everybody said so and were even ready to shed a few tears but since perusing it we are bound to confess that next to mark's jumping frog it's the finest bit of humor and sarcasm that we've come across in many a day i do not get a compliment like that every day i used to think that your writings were pretty good but after reading the criticism in the galaxy from the london review have discovered what an ass i must have been if suggestions are in order mine is that you put that article in your next edition of the innocents as an extra chapter if you are not afraid to put your own humor in competition with it it is as rich a thing as i ever read which is strong commendation from a book publisher the london reviewer my friend is not the stupid serious creature he pretends to be i think but on the contrary has a keen appreciation and enjoyment of your book as i read his article in the galaxy i could imagine him giving vent to many a hearty laugh but he is writing for catholics and established church people and high-toned antiquated conservative gentility whom it is a delight to him to help you shock while he pretends to shake his head with owlish density he is a magnificent humorist himself now that is graceful and handsome i take off my hat to my lifelong friend and comrade and with my feet together and my fingers spread over my heart i say in the language of alabama you do me proud i stand guilty of the authorship of the article but i did not mean any harm i saw by an item in the boston advertiser that a solemn serious critique on the english edition of my book had appeared in the london saturday review and the idea of such a literary breakfast by a stolid ponderous british ogre of the quill was too much for a naturally weak virtue and i went home and burlesqued it reveled in it i may say i never saw a copy of the real saturday review criticism until after my burlesque was written and mailed to the printer but when i did get hold of a copy i found it to be vulgar awkwardly written ill-natured and entirely serious and in earnest the gentleman who wrote the newspaper paragraph above quoted had not been misled as to its character if any man doubts my word now i will kill him no i will not kill him i will win his money i will bet him twenty to one and let any new york publisher hold the stakes that the statements i have above made as to the authorship of the article in question are entirely true perhaps i may get wealthy at this for i am willing to take all the bets that offer and if a man wants larger odds i will give him all he requires but he ought to find out whether i am betting on what is termed a sure thing or not before he ventures his money and he can do that by going to a public library and examining the london saturday review of october eighth which contains the real critique bless me some people thought that i was the sold person p s I cannot resist the temptation to toss in this most savory thing of all this easy graceful philosophical disquisition with its happy chirping confidence it is from the cincinnati inquirer nothing is more uncertain than the value of a fine cigar
nine smokers out of ten would prefer an ordinary domestic article three for a quarter to a fifty-cent partaga if kept in ignorance of the cost of the latter the flavor of the partaga is too delicate for palates that have been accustomed to connecticut seed-leaf so it is with humor the finer it is in quality the more danger of its not being recognized at all even mark twain has been taken in by an english review of his innocence abroad mark twain is by no means a coarse humorist but the englishman's humor is so much finer than his that he mistakes it for solid earnest and larfs most consumedly a man who cannot learn stands in his own light hereafter when i write an article which i know to be good but which i may have reason to fear will not in some quarters be considered to amount to much coming from an american i will aver that an englishman wrote it and that it is copied from a london journal and then i will occupy a back seat and enjoy the cordial applause the galaxy january eighteen seventy one memoranda by mark twain answer to an inquiry from the coming man young author yes agassiz does recommend authors to eat fish because the phosphorus in it makes brains so far you are correct but i cannot help you to a decision about the amount you need to eat at least not with certainty if the specimen composition you send is about your fair usual average i should judge that perhaps a couple of whales would be all you would want for the present not the largest kind but simply good middling-sized whales end of section 126